Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Aaron is up this week. What have you brought to the table today? Indeed, I am. Um, I am bringing an article called The Second Assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. It's written by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. It was published in The Atlantic uh, back in October, Um, relatively recent. Uh, I think it makes this really bold and, to me, uh, honest parallel between Dr. King's sort of physical assassination mm-hmm. um, of his body and the continued mischaracterization of who he was. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to name this pattern of behavior and the erasure of his work um, and the simplification of his work, right? The whitewashing, uh, because the right is literally hijacking his whole body of work and boiling it down to one phrase within the I have a dream speech yep. um, that they claim was his, uh, you know, he he was looking for colorblindness, mm. um, which if we look at the rest of his work, that's not correct. Right. Um, so one of the one of the things I want to pull and they've been doing that for decades. Yeah. Right? Oh, like yeah. Decades. Yep. Um, Good point. And one of the quotes I want to pull from this is uh, this. So Dr. Kennedy writes, King's first assassins professed to hate him half a century ago. His second assassins professed to revere him. Death threats to King's legacy are now sold as love songs to his legacy. Mm. King is adored in death, literally. King is still hated in life. And I think that is such an important thought process um, to consider about how King's message is being bastardized into something that is the opposite of what he stood for uh, in so many ways and what he organized against and worked against. Uh, And I think that this is a great article uh, that unpacks a lot of that. And so I'm looking forward to discussing it with you here today. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you bringing that quote right uh, from the piece because I think it really sort of names, right? Like what is happening, what happened then and what is happening now. Um, And so Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah, this was a, a fantastic piece by our good friend, Dr. Kendi. Um, I'm not surprised by it at all because he's just incredible. So, Dr. Kendi, if you're listening, we're huge fans of yours. We'd love to have you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> he's listening. I yeah. know he is. Mm-hmm. I know he is. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate it so much about this piece. I, I think most especially I loved the fact that he actually went to the site of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination and talked about and shared how that was such a profound experience for him. Mm-hmm. I think it really set the stage pretty wonderfully, I think, for him to sort of dive into this concept of the second assassination of Dr. King that, as you said, has been happening for years now and is still going. Like it's happening in our present day, right? Mm-hmm. As he pointed out, this second assassination has really branched off, I think, and, and taken different forms in our recent history and even today, right? So, but I, I think I wanted to mention that because I, I really, I was really moved by how he opened and closed this piece, particularly his vulnerability around what it meant to take the same steps at the same motel as Dr. King did 
in his final moments of his life. You know, I haven't personally been to the Lorraine Motel, but I would imagine that I would have similar feelings and reactions to that experience, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think in particular, he talked about having these feelings of grief during his visit to the motel. And over two years later, still having feelings of grief as he reflected on all that has happened in this country. And in terms of this second assassination of Dr. King, both in terms of his words and and of his legacy, right? That character assassination you you referred to, right? And so, I don't know. I just really felt that, and I and I think he did a great job in showing us what this sec- second assassination has looked like throughout the entire piece. Yeah, definitely. I think um, sort of connected to that, one of the things that I wanted to pull out from the article. Uh, is this quote that says, almost a third of Americans polled in April 1968 felt that King himself was to blame for his assassination. Mm. They felt that he had, quote, brought it on himself. Yeah, And so I think that's why it's so important to recognize all of this pattern and talk about it and think about it um, because it's so easy to buy into the narrative um, that he was this universally beloved figure. Right. Right. And he was, as Dr. Kenny points out, one of the most hated people in the U.S. when he was killed. Yeah, um, He was not beloved in his life, right? I pulled that out of that, that first quote I mentioned. Um, he was hated in life, um, and he's still hated in his life, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's because he wasn't the figure that the right is portraying him to be today. Yeah. He was radical. He wanted to shake things up from the foundations of this country. Um, and so I think that this is so important for us to pay attention to sort of the patterns at play here and the narratives that people are trying to um, weave to make us believe stuff about him that's not true. Right. Um, and, and using him as a figure for their own gain. Right. Yeah. And sort of using him to sort of um, cleanse or, or wash their message and say like, look, no, no, he said this. So he would be on my side. And, um, it's just disingenuous. It's gross. It's ridiculous. Um, Yeah. So I, but I think acknowledging and recognizing the patterns is the first step, at least for like an, on an individual basis to be like, Oh wait, no, this is nonsense. Like you, you are just full of crap. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that point of sort of acknowledging sort of who is doing this too. Right. Because, right. It is, it's one thing to think about how sort of at the time of his death, sort of, you know, pretty widely he wasn't uh, liked, right? But to think about him now, um, and there are folks out here like us, right, who have a great deal of respect for him and the work that he was trying to do in the time in which he was trying to do it. And I think a lot of folks, when they are doing this kind of work sort of publicly, right, have enemies, right, and have folks who aren't happy with the work you're trying to do because you're trying to make this tremendous change to white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're trying to tackle and dismantle that. Um, and so that's that's difficult stuff, right? So it's important to acknowledge like who is actually uh, bastardizing his work, as you say, and and these patterns, I, I, I appreciate that. I think sort of connected to that, right, is some of the stuff that Dr. Kendi writes about and his thoughts around the connections between Reagan and Trump. Yeah. And I guess sort of also specifically like Reagan Republicans and Trump Republicans uh, in the context. What? Those are the same. Thing. They're the same thing. You're right. What? 
Yeah, you're right. Uh, there's parallels there's, here that you're. I think you're about to talk about, but I'm yeah, sorry. I no. shouldn't have cut it. No, no, no. I think no. You're absolutely right. They are related. Um, but in the sort of in the context of this distortion, right, of Dr. King's words, and and especially in terms of critical race theory. So in thinking about the Reagan era, Dr. Kendi reminded us of the fact that while we first recognized Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a federal holiday under Reagan. Reagan himself was actively working against the progress being made in the government to combat racial inequities and also, as you said, used Dr. King to justify what he was doing, like used his words against him and to sort of justify the work that he was doing. Um, And that's, you know, despite Dr. King, again, being adamant about the need to get segregation and discrimination out of our government and our Mm -hmm. systems. And so there's that piece. And then, you know, you fast forward to sort of today, right, more recent times, Dr. Kendi also quoted some of Trump's remarks where he referred to critical race theory as as a Marxist doctrine that rejects the vision of Dr. King, which is ridiculous. And 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 then don't even get me started on the, that 1776 commission, right, <laughs> which, you know, Dr. Kendi spent some time talking about. And, and we've certainly talked about it here on the show before, too. Um, I just, just think a little bit, just a little bit. I, I. I think it all just goes to show that this attack or, or you know, as he's put it, this assassination of Dr. King's work and legacy has been happening for decades, right? Yeah. And and I think it's it's incredibly difficult to sort of witness it and, and understand it when you can easily read Dr. King's words to know what he said. And, you know, anyone was just some common sense can understand what he meant right and especially in a piece like this this incredible piece by dr kendi where his words are literally side by side with this nonsense so yep. it's just sort of it, it is it is difficult to that to see this happen yeah the um so uh, two things i recall the 1776 commission report i believe it got released on mlk That's day right. earlier this year yeah um so you know that's fun mm-hmm. um and then yeah um it's such an insightful parallel for him to draw between um Trump and Reagan yeah. um you know he points out that a lot of the colorblind stuff that the right is spewing now was popularized and amplified by Reagan yep. um and so you know the the current day right are all an extension of his legacy they all look up mm-hmm. to him um in so many ways uh, and so th- there's a there's a through line um, there, right? And especially you think about like Kevin McCarthy, the mm-hmm. House Minority Leader, mm-hmm. saying that critical race theory goes against everything Martin Luther King has ever told us. Don't judge us by the color of our skin. And now they're embracing it. Um, and so there's a connection between Reagan and that, yeah. right? Because yeah. Reagan was arguing for colorblind politics and claiming that that's what Dr. King was also arguing uh, for and fighting for. Yeah. Um, and it's such a gross mischaracterization because if you just listen to the rest of that speech alone, you can see like, oh, this is actually that's actually not what he's saying at, at all. all. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's it's bizarre, but you can see that like McCarthy and Reagan and Trump, they're cut from the same cloth. Absolutely. Um, and also, you think about that statement from McCarthy. There's so much in it um, that is othering people mm, right yeah uh the the rhetorical use of they mm-hmm. in the statement it's using these classic conservative devices of us versus them to sort of reinforce this protectionism um that they want to project to their base 
to sort of say like, look, we're the ones who are going to save us from them. Mm. Right. And so there's these little subtle pieces of that that happen um, through the way that they talk in public uh, about all of this stuff, too. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. I didn't think about sort of the othering that's happening there. And you're, yeah. it's absolutely true when I see and listen to you talk about that quote in particular from McCarthy. That's, that's happening. That's there. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's powerful, right? And a tactic in this, in yeah. this work that they're doing. So yeah, uh, they are brainstorming they, our children, right? Like that's one yeah. of the common brainwashing brain. What did I say? Storming. Brainstorming. <laughs> yeah. Brainwashing. That's yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Good point. All right. Um, so I think all, all that's here in this piece, uh, and, and makes this point around this second assassination and how it's happening. Right. I think one of the, I think one of the most compelling parts of this piece that brought everything together uh, or brought it all home for me was what Dr. Kendi said toward the end of this piece about what this second assassination, second assassination is actually about. You know, he acknowledged that it is about Dr. King and directed at him, but it's also about so much more too. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to share his words here and this is a bit long, um, but it is just so good, and I and I and I want it out there in the in the world, in the podcast world. Um, so I'm going to quote here: "The second assassination of King is the latest assassination of history. The war on science, on expertise, on facts, on journalism, on democracy necessitates a concomitant war on history, and the war in history is the war in education, as history is essentially educational." If an anti-racist king can be turned into a colorblind conservator of racism, then anyone and anything from history can be assassinated. Pro-slavery founding fathers can be recast as having been against slavery. Racist Confederate labels can be recast as not racist heroes deserving of monuments in town squares. Assassinating the reality of the past assassinates the reality of the present and creates a new simulated reality. In this simulated reality, critical race theory can be warped into being like Jim Crow. Anti-American insurrectionists who attacked the U.S. Capitol on January 6th can be presented as pro-American patriots. Education can be turned into indoctrination, and indoctrination can be turned into education. Teaching children that there's nothing special about their skin color can be turned into teaching children to hate their skin color. People organizing and writing against racism can be portrayed as race politics profiteers yeah and he goes on to say more but like th- i think that's the million dollar quote of this piece right that's the central thesis of this you know it's troubling that there is this assassination this character assassination of dr king that's happening but this assassination of our history and revision of both our history and and what's happening in our present day i think is even more troubling and 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 that's not one and that's one of, I think, if not the biggest takeaway from this piece for me that I wanted to highlight because I think it's so true and it should give us all some pause and should continue to hopefully light a fire under us in in this work. Yeah, it's, you know, <clears throat> the continued distancing from the truth. Yeah. And we're seeing it, hmm. as as uh, Dr. Kendi alluded to in that that passage you just read, uh, he it's happening in real time with the mm-hmm. January 6th insurrection, right? Yeah. Big GOP public figures who I'm guessing are people who were horrified by the events of January 6th and, and would not align themselves with those folks um, are telling us to move on, right? Yeah. Condoleezza Rice is a prime example of this. She mm-hmm. said it this week, last week, whenever, recently, yeah, recently uh, that recently. We, we need to move on from that. Um, 
and it's disturbing, right? And they're, yeah. they're shifting our attention away from the facts of the case that people inside of the GOP, inside Congress, were connected to the organizers uh, of these rallies, of, of, these, of the insurrection in real ways. Yeah. And we're seeing more reports come out about this, like this past week uh, in Rolling Stone. Yeah. Uh, and so this is a common pattern that they're following uh, to spin actual events into something more palatable for themselves that protects them from any kind of accountability. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's a parallel. It's the same for teaching kids the history of segregation or enslavement or the decades of racial terrorism through lynchings and through the Klan. Mm -hmm. Like we're sanitizing the stories of the U.S. to make everyone feel a little bit more comfortable mm. and less critical of what it is that we have done and what that means. Yeah. In this article, you know, Dr. Kendi writes, assassinating, as you said, assassinating the reality of the past assassinates the reality of the present and creates a new simulated reality. It's so good. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we're hiding the family secrets that don't make us look good because they're horrendous things that are incongruent with the things that this country says that it stands for. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think I think we've had this conversation before, too, but this idea that why is it so difficult for us to, or why is it such a, a ridiculous thought for us to take a look at our history and reckon mm. with it, right? Like we need to, and our children need to reckon with our history so that we don't continue to make these same mistakes again, right? And we've talked about how history has repeated itself uh, time and time again. Um, yeah. But it is more powerful for us to take a look at this history, to understand it, um, and to make things better for all of us, right? Yeah. And I and I and I really struggle with um, the idea that you know the the, the GOP and folks like uh, folks who sort of believe this um, in what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about application. All right. Um, I think my application here is the parallels between what Dr. Kendi is saying about how this conservative movement is warping narratives and, yeah. and what we need to do to counteract it. You know, one of the things I think I would have liked to have seen uh, in, in the piece is some kind of suggestion for what we could mm. do to counteract those things collectively, what we could do to challenge these patterns. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that there's an easy answer here that yeah. we should have just included in the final yeah, paragraph. Because I think whatever someone comes up with, whatever we say, is going to be way easier said than done. Yes. Um, but I think we all have to start thinking about how do we, how are we cognizant of these things that are happening? How are we distancing ourselves from the truth, um, and and push back on it when we see it to to get ourselves closer to the truth. Um, and I, so I, that's where my application is because it's happening so much around us and so much around what what's going on. Even when you think about, um, you know, the uh, infrastructure process, mm. right? Like um, I saw a tweet from Baratunde Thurston uh, the other day that said, you know, news media outlets need to do a better job. It's not that the Democrats can't agree on things in Congress um, that need to be included in this bill. It's two specific people who are blocking things from happening yes. um, because they have been bought out by corporations or they have vested interest in coal, um, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so th that that is a subtle way that the, that pattern is, is happening where we're distancing ourselves from the truth because it's not, you know, 48 other people in the Senate are like, yep, we should do all these things. Yeah. Um, and maybe have some smaller disagreements 
rather than like let's wholesale take out family leave and take mm. out um, some of this this green energy stuff. I don't know. It's gonna hurt my stocks in in my son's coal business, oh, Senator son. Mansion. My son's coal business. So, yeah, that's where my applications thinking is like no. recognizing, pushing back about the, uh, pushing back against these patterns that take us away from the truth. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I also um, appreciate the idea of talking about sort of the other pieces of our society that play a role in all of this, right? So the media is one, yeah. right? And the media is this giant machine um, that plays a huge role in this, right? And what we're learning about and understanding about the context of what's going on, right? In politics, in infrastructure, in our um, in, in our in our society, right? So I, I appreciate that. I and I, so I love that application. I agree. I think there's so much applicability of what we read in this piece to I think many of the things we've talked about on the show, right? And, mm-hmm. and even some conversations you and I have had away from this table that we sit around we sit at. Um, but I think some of the most significant application comes in the form of the dire need for us as a society to truly come to terms with and understand what critical race theory is mm-hmm. and what it means for us, right? As Dr. Kendi says in this piece, people have to stop distorting what critical race theory is and the good that it can do, particularly around giving us, I think, a way to examine our laws and our systems and how they continue to advance the interests and needs of white people, right? And the power of white supremacy over everyone and everything else. So I think for me, I think the application here is the importance of continuing to consume and embrace critical race theory, its scholarships and ideas, and and also the importance of pushing back on critics, especially you know these conservative lawmakers and politicians and leaders when they try to distort what it actually is and and you know, we're seeing these bans on what they call critical race theory, but actually what that is, is it's silencing discussions. It's their desire to silence discussions and 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 progress on racism and social justice and 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 history, right? As you as you just mentioned as well. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Great point. None of this is actually about critical race theory, right. right? It's it's about making the people shouting the loudest about it more comfortable because they don't want to acknowledge the atrocities that this country has committed. Man. They want to live in their unyielding patriotism that mm. um, it cannot be criticized. Um, they do not have space to hold uh, a, a critical thought that uh, the country has done anything. Uh, against its own stated values. Yeah, and that, as you, as you said, I love that unyielding patriotism. That challenges that unyielding patriotism. They can't. Yeah, can't do it. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about homework. All right. Um, there are some links in this article um, that back up some of the arguments that Dr. Yeah. Kendi makes in this piece. Yeah. Um, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Reagan uh, using the MLK Day holiday um, and and bringing that. Uh, into into law um, to undermine racial justice and then a similar article to this one about dr king's legacy and the right watering down his message for their own agenda like uh at, at this time this is written a few years ago uh opposing nfl players taking a knee uh. um so i just want to read a couple of these things that are linked in the article and sort of broaden my own understanding here and, and yeah. perspectives and, and hear a few other um, voices about these kind of topics and and pieces of pieces of history as well. Yeah, that's great homework. I mean, I think we've talked before about some of these articles that we find that have these great links in them, right? And this one was sort of littered with links. And so there's really great resources in it um, and some 
some additional history that we can learn, right? In context for all of this that we can that we can learn. That is, I think, incredible homework. So I, I appreciate that. I struggled a little bit thinking about homework. I think I think what I came up with is interesting. I don't know if that's the right word. I think it's just not it's it isn't necessarily truly connected to what we read in this piece. I th- it's more about Dr. Kennedy himself, right? I I want to explore the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research, where Dr. Kennedy serves as the director. I just this morning briefly glanced at their website, and so I want to dig a little bit more into that and see what resources there are um, that could be helpful to me and to all of us, right? For for one, I saw that they have what they call the Racial Data Lab, which is the nation's largest database of racial inequality data in the United States. So that sounds uh, like an incredible resource. And so I want to check that out. And And who knows, maybe something that the Center for Anti-Racist Research has done is some good content I can bring to the table in a future episode. Yeah. Yeah. They seem to be doing some uh, really uh, incredible work around researching um, anti-racist policies and, and uh, understanding the impact of of racist policies right um in the country too right um so yeah that sounds great all right damien you are up next time uh what are you bringing to the table in our next episode i am all right so i'm bringing a documentary to the table for us for our next episode it's called my name is paulie murray and it actually just came out a couple of months ago uh on amazon prime if you want to check it out with us i think it came out just back in late september so it's still relatively new Um, But as the title suggests, it's all about the life and work and legacy of Pauli Murray, who was a non-binary black lawyer, activist, priest, poet, and really truly a trailblazer who I think has been largely overlooked in the context of all that they've accomplished and all that they contributed to social justice and the law in our in our society like they are credited with influencing some really incredible folks like ruth bader ginsburg and thurgood marshall just to name a couple and and i think actually i watched the trailer rbg is featured in the film talking about Polly murray and so um, i want us to watch this and learn a bit more about Polly murray because this is definitely the first time i've heard the name Polly murray mm-hmm. and which i'm sure may be the case for a lot of folks and so i think we should watch this and talk about this film and and all that Pauli Murray has accomplished next week. It sounds like a, an amazing story that's been sort of hidden from history or yeah. hidden in history. Yeah. Um, so right. I'm looking forward to learning more about that right here next All week. All right. All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life. Follow us on social media, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we have going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. Uh